Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. I just want to uh, talk about one other quick thing that's happening actually right after this service is a band jam. Uh, Caleb and Morgan Ingram are going to be leading uh, the worship in our, in, for our students, for our middle school and high school students. And that's been an area that, you know, 20 months ago, we kind of got off the ground a little bit. And then, you know, obviously the, a disruption and pause of everything and trying to bring it back. And if you have teenagers, you know that they listen to music practically nonstop, okay? It's a big part of their lives. And we want uh, them to use worship, in some cases, use their gifts. So if they're interested vocally or musically, or even you adults want to be part, we want to get a hybrid band going and raise up leaders. A lot of uh, adults who are leading in worship started in middle school and started learning how to play an instrument or started learning how to sing, how to lead people into worship. And so I'm stoked. This has been a huge Huge prayer for me of getting the right leaders in place. When you have the right leaders, things can go to levels that you can never imagine. And Caleb and Morgan are definitely the right leaders, no doubt about that. And so it's after this service, they're going to be in there doing a band jam. It's not a tryout or a rehearse. It's just getting in there and playing. And that's about all I know as far as how they'll move forward, because I know nothing about music really. But no, they're, they're going to they're gonna do a phenomenal job. So if you're want to pop in there afterwards, if you have a, a student who you want to, to drop off there, and then you go have a nice quiet lunch, <laughs> hint, hint, okay, do that, but um, I'm excited. Thanks, Kayla Morgan, for leading the charge with that. Last week, we kicked off this series um, entitled Unstoppable Joy. We're in the book of Philippians, and so before I dive into what we're going to look at today, I actually want to review last week for about two or three minutes. Uh, and this is helpful for today anyhow, or especially if you missed last week, because uh, then you'll get all caught up in three minutes. Uh, but the context of this is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is in prison. He's in Rome, uh, and he, he doesn't know what that is going to look like. Uh, if he's going to live or he's going to die. Okay? And so he, he writes this letter. It's, it's taken to this church in Philippi. as a church that he started. Philippi was uh, not a coastal city, which is where he usually started a lot of his churches. It's slightly off the coast, off the Mediterranean Sea. But Philippi was a very strategic location because a major road that went from Asia Minor or, or Asia area to um, to Rome was located where Philippi is. And so he starts his church. He's not there very long. Uh, and then we see this letter. And I, and I mentioned last week that if you know anything about Paul, uh, and if you've, if you've read anything else he's written, or maybe you heard me talk about him in a series last month, I said, Paul is not the feeler. Paul is not the let's hold hands and sing some, some songs. That's, he's not the warm, fuzzy kind of guy. He's like conquer the hill, take whatever I need to do. Like, if you get in my way, I'm just going to run you over because I got a mission to fulfill. And so we had that idea in our mind. Then we read Philippians, and we see in the first chapter that, like, this guy is, like, gushy a little bit, right? He's, like, there's this, like, warmth to him. And we, and we extracted last week, what's going on here? I mean, did he, did he shift personality? What's going on here? And we came to the realization as we unpacked the text that, the reason he spoke this way, even in the midst of his horrific situation, is because he loved these people. He had discipled them. He had shared with them about who Jesus was, how Jesus had changed his life, and how he could change theirs. And because of that relationship, because he invited them into his life, 
they meant the world to him. And frankly, he meant the world to them. And so we, we then talked about the idea that what's it mean to be a disciple? In, in, in the Greek language, with the New Testament's written in, the disciple word is mathetes. And that best translates into learner. And so it's someone not just intellectually who learns, but it's someone who, as they discover more about Christ, it changes their life. But the idea is that you don't just open up and read. We need people to do this with. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, then it's not optional. That's the thing about discipling. It's not optional to disciple someone else. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or if you're here because someone bribed you to a lunch, or if you're here today because you're just going through some hurts in your life, I'm so glad you're here. Those joining us online in that circumstances of life, that situational life, I'm so glad. This is place. This, one of our values here at the Valley Church is come as you are. So come with your doubts, come with your frustrations, come with your anger, come with your hurts, come with wherever you are, this is a place for you. But I would encourage you not to stay there. I would encourage you to consider diving into a relationship with someone else, starting to get the questions that you have. Don't we all have questions in life, <laughs> like big questions in life, um, to help you start getting some of the, those answers? So I'm going to reiterate what I talked about last week is the journey. The journey is a one-on-one or, or with a couple where you, as a follower of Christ, says, you know, I don't have anyone that I've been discipling. Well, I got a solution. I have a solution for you. Mark on the back of your connection card, journey. If you want to lead someone else through the journey, put journey leader, put journey leader, because we have numerous people, first service, numerous people that are hungry to learn more. And if you're in that second camp of hungry to learn more, just put on the back of that connection card, journey. Just put journey, and Jessica Zawalik, our group life, our discipleship and connections director, will reach out to you. Here's what I've learned in life. It's complicated, <laughs> right? Marriage can be complicated. Raising children can be complicated at times. Work can be complicated. Discovering your purpose can be complicated. I mean, right? It just goes on. And we want to help. And most importantly, God wants to help. He wants us to discover not only his son, first and foremost, but he wants us to discover our purpose and who we're wired. And in context with that, I've discovered I can't do this alone. I can't. I mean, I'm an introvert and I'm a pretty strong introvert. <laughs> but even then, I'm like, I got I to gotta do this with other people. I got to have someone else. I got to be pouring into someone else. And I desperately need some other people pouring into me or I desperately just need some other relationships. I need to know someone else is in my corner beyond my wife. And it's a good start with my wife. But beyond that, someone who's cheering me on, who's praying for me, and who's frankly asking some of the hard questions too. And so really would encourage you to do that, really would challenge you to do that. Um, One of the things you may or may not know, if you've been coming here for a while, you've probably heard me say this before, but I'm incredibly competitive in fact, when I do like those strength finder assessment, it's competition, achiever, maximizer, pretty much a laundry list of this guy really needs a lot of help, <laughs> right? Um, and so, and as a result of being competitive, to me, a scoreboard is very important. I, you, you either win or you lose in my world. Like there's no moral victories. I don't even understand that, okay? Um, it's you win or you lose. So you have to have a scoreboard. And even if you're here today and you're not competitive, I think you would agree that having a scoreboard has value, right? If you're a Buckeyes fan and they're playing um, Purdue yesterday, what if, yep, yeah, okay. <laughs> what if there was no scoreboard. Like they just run down the field and they cross that thicker line, you know, and go into that bigger square rectangle that says Ohio State or Buckeye. 
and everyone cheered, but nothing changed. <laughs> I mean, even if you don't care about sports or whatever, I mean, you're like, that's just kind of weird, right? Like, there's got to be some. And so, you know, I got thinking about the scoreboard, and, I, and I, I'll just be transparent. I, I got thinking about what's my scoreboard? What do I consider wins as a follower of Christ? And see, when I was a coach, and I've coached for almost 20 years, that competition and having that scoreboard was fit my makeup perfectly, right? Guys, we're going to practice really hard. We're going to go through all this because we want to have a higher number at the end, right? And even as a teacher, I taught for almost a decade. I could channel that competition, right? I mean, I could, you know, I wanted my students to excel. I wanted them to become, discover kind of their strengths and all that. And I wanted them to be ready for college. I taught high school science. So, I mean, college was coming fast for some of them. And so, I mean, I could even use my competitiveness to help prepare them so we could like have the highest scores in the county for, for some testing. And so I could see them as have, have 30 plus on their ACT or ACT, yeah, or high scores SAT. I could channel all that in. And then 11 years ago, God called me into ministry. And I remember for a long time, how do you channel, what's the scoreboard look like in ministry? Like, our church is bigger than that one, so that's a, right? I mean, it could get pretty messed up, right? I mean, that competition, whatever, and then, you know, what's a win? Like, um, well, today, I, this week, I, I talked to five people about Jesus. How many did you talk about? Two? Well, you're a loser, okay? You know, right? Right? I mean, right? You see, it gets pretty sick, pretty fast. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm being honest I, I really, for a long time, could not consistently figure out the best way to channel the scoreboard. And, and, and wrestling with, and this is the one question I want to kind of start with, what's God's scoreboard? What, do, what does he measure? What's, what's the most important thing? If God could only put one score on the board, what would he put up there? And so I want to ask you this question as we move forward with this. What are you living for? What are you living for? Because that's your scoreboard, isn't it? Maybe never put it in that kind of vernacular. But what, is, what, is, what are you living for? What is that thing that drives you? I jotted down a few options here. Are you living for comfort? Now, you've maybe never articulated this. You've never, never even brought it up to the surface but what we prioritize is what we're living for. What we talk about with, in our own self-talk and with our spouse is what you're living for. Is it comfort? Is it, are you living for security? Are you living for yourself? And we never want to admit that, but right? But one of the rules today, one of the things I would encourage you to do is you got to face the brutal facts. Because I went through this process and, and the beauty of, of preaching is that you dive into Scripture, and I just allow God just to, I say, God, just do whatever you want, okay? And he just starts really messing with me. He starts reorienting some things. And out of this, the last month or so, specifically the last two weeks, God has transformed my scoreboard, and I hope he does the same for you. What are you living, what are you living for? Are you living for money? Are you living for pleasure? Is that what you're living for? Are you living to retire? I mean, is that where you're, you're, you're thinking your focus is, I just got a, two more years, and that's, that's what you're living for. There's nothing wrong with that, but if that's what you're living for, right, we'll see. Are you living to get married? Is that what you're living for, to get married or, or to find a boyfriend or find a girlfriend or for children? Is that what you're living for? Once I have children, then it will be all good. Come talk to me. No, I love my kids. <laughs> all right. Are you living for others? Is that what you're living for? Are you living for others? Are you living for Christ? Could you say, I'm living for Christ? I don't know. 
Because once you figure out what you're living for, you just start to answer the second question, which is, what's the purpose of my life? You see how those combine together? Because if you're living for money, what's the purpose of your life? If that's what you're living for, well, the purpose is probably to accumulate as much wealth. And then subsequently probably answer the other question I had in there is how fast can I retire, right? You know, if that's what you're living for, I'm not saying that anything of these is bad in and of itself. That's not, hear me on that. Those, I mean, it's good to save. It's good to retire. It's good to have a family. But I'm saying, here's, what are you living for at the core what are you living for? So today we're going to continue on this journey with the Apostle Paul. We're going to still be in the first chapter, but as I spent many, many hours in the text and allowing the text to be in me, he revealed two very, God revealed two things that I believe, I know for me, and I hope the same for you, have resulted in more unstoppable joy in my life. Last week, we said that if you want unstoppable joy, you need to be discipling someone if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to find a follower of Jesus and start to learn, at least be willing to learn a little bit more. So I'm going to start today, actually in the second part of this passage, reveal one thing that came out, and then I'm going to jump to the forefront of it. So we're going to be in verse 19 of chapter 1. It'll be on the screens. If you have your Bibles on your phone, whatever, feel free to pull that up too. Uh, And he says, yes, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is Paul speaking. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, what has happened to him? He's in jail, okay? Remember, I taught, so I'm fine with questions, okay? Um, Sort of, like any of them. will turn out for my deliverance. He says, whatever has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Wow, okay, that's a lot. Verse 21, for to me, to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I, depart, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But if it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. This is fascinating. Paul is theologically, he's, he's going into this theological discourse that he wrote down. It was in his mind, I'm sure, and then he wrote down this theological discourse of trying to figure out and interpret his personal experiences his personal situation in light of God's purposes. I'm going to say that again. This is a theological, this section here is a theological discourse. Is Paul wrestling with his current circumstances, which are not that great, with God's greater purposes. And he gets into this tension, a fascinating tension, that I've never, and, it, and this is where God really started challenging me, that I've never got into with myself is saying, is it better to live and be, with Je- or live and be here and see the gospel spread, or is it to better be with Jesus? Like, do you see how this guy's wired differently than a lot of us, right? Different than me. And so often we, we, we talk about the book of Philippians being a book with the theme of joy. And that's 
correct. Uh, we're not theologically wrong to say that this series is unstoppable joy. But it's deeper than that. You know, joy, as Paul talks about with the fruit of the Spirit, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something that we can't just manufacture on our own. It's something that we just can't produce on our own. The only way we have unstoppable joy is saying yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes in, takes over and invades our life. And it's a fruit, it's a byproduct of allowing God's rule and reign to take over our hearts. Joy in and of itself is a response, right? It's an effect. It's not a cause. And so I started mining it down. I'm like, what is the cause? What is the cause of what's going on here? And I looked at the whole book of Philippians, and here's what it is. The whole book of Philippians is centered on Christology or is centered on the person of Jesus. That's what it's about, folks. See, Paul was so in love with Jesus. Everything that Paul did came out of their relationship with Christ. That was, it drove everything. So if you were to ask Paul, what are you living for? He answered it. He said, for me to live is what? Is Christ. What he's saying is, you don't get Paul without getting Jesus. If you find Jesus, you find Paul. There is no separation. There is no, I invite Jesus into this area of my life. I invite him into this area of my life. This area, you're off limits. Finances, God, I got those. I'll, I'll let you in around Christmas when it's supposed to be more generous, right? Yeah. Or I'll, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'll let you into this part, but I'm not going to let you into my future. <laughs> like, come on, God, I got that one a little figure. I know you created the universe and all that, but I, I, got, I have a plan, God. I went to school. I have a degree, you know, right? I mean, I've done, I'm talking now, like sharing my story a little bit, right? I mean, we do that. But can we really say that Christ is everything? Can I really say that? That every single thing is driven for my relationship with Jesus. That's how Paul had unstoppable joy. Jesus was the center of his life. It was everything. He's saying that to live as Christ sums up my whole existence, and he got into this tension. He got into this tension saying, to live is to, be, is, is to develop this greater intimacy with Jesus and to get to know him better. In fact, Paul would, went so far to say that the reason he wanted to suffer for the cause of Christ was not to be a martyr, was not to get a higher score on the scoreboard compared to others, was not even the suffering of it of in itself. Paul said this, his reason for suffering was he felt if he was going to know Jesus as intimately as he wanted to know Jesus, then he had to experience the same things that Jesus did, which meant he was going to have to suffer for the cause. I mean, I don't know. I walked in here maybe today thinking I read a lot of Bible this week and I've been generous, you know, right? And now I'm like, I got a little bit of room for growth, <laughs> right? I mean, is, is that... Is, he, is, is that everything to me? And then the reason he said to die is gain is not because he was suicidal. I mean, I even read some commentary. I'm like, guys, come on, like, please delete that, okay? <laughs> That's not, he's saying that I love Jesus so much. I love, he's everything to me that to die is a win because I get to be with him in his presence. And I'm like, wow, I got some room for growth, right? I mean, do I think that way? 
There's an old song by Avalon. It goes something, and I'm not going to sing it, so don't start running away, okay? But it talks about he's everything to me, being Jesus. He's everything to me. He's more than a story. He's more than words on a page. He's everything to me. I get chills even thinking about he's, he's everything to me. Is, is he everything to you? Is he more than just words on a page? Is he more than just a story? Is he my everything? Would, am I lost, not just in life, but in every facet of my life? Am I lost in every moment of my life if Jesus isn't there? Now, I'm pretty self-sufficient. I'm like you. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to, I'm going to push through things, right? Right? And it's so easy to not even intentionally, but it's so easy that he gets pushed, right? He gets pushed out. Sometimes we are intentional about it, but a lot of times I think, boom, we just push, just a little nudge. Got this under control. Seem to be doing well in the marriage, right? Seem to be doing well with this temptation, right? And we, and we push him out a little bit more and a little bit more. And then what happens? Boom! right? Something explodes, right? Or something just, is he everything to you? Is he everything? Paul's ultimate, ultimate purpose was to glorify God, that Jesus was everything to him. Um, you know, we're 20, 20 months into this, the last 20 months of our, of our lives, right? And now there's a lot of church statistics coming out now from Barna and some other research groups of what's the church looking like now? We're 20 months from March of 2020. Things are so dramatically different. The church is reopened now for a good year and a half in most cases. What, what's, what's happening in the church? And this is fascinating. They've come out with the 40-30-30 principle. Uh, not principle, but fact. That 40% of people are more sold out for Jesus than they ever were before. 40%. 40 people, 40% of people in the body of Christ are so hungry for more of him, are so hungry to disciple people, are so hungry to see lost people come. And then there's 30%. There's 30% who are on the fence. They're trying to decide, am I in or am I out? Not with the church, although that's part of it, but with God. Am I going to give him everything or am I going to hold back quite a bit or, or even a little bit? There's 30% that they're finding may or may not choose to even stay connected to a local church. It's scary and fascinating at the same time. And here's the really sad part. 30% are gone. 30% of people who were consistent or semi-consistent in the body of Christ, serving, group life, kids in church, 30% are gone. Now, I'm one of those who always thinks I can defy statistics. <laughs> we will work harder, we'll, work, we'll pray harder. That's kind of my thing. We'll pray as hard as you can and work as hard as you can. I think that's decent theology in the middle. <laughs> the Valley Church is 30% of our people who were here before, and that includes kids and teens, have not come back. I've done the math. We've had probably 30 or 40% who have started coming here, so that's why you might look around and first service was packed. And I mean, but I know the brutal facts. I don't just look and say, okay, how many, you know. And, and it's not the 30%, it's they have names to me. And they have stories to me and to you. 
and they have children and teens. And so while we are doing everything possible to pursue them and everything possible, the, the, the lost coin, right? The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost, um, the lost son. We are doing everything to pursue them. We need to, we need to pray that they would turn back to him, right? And they need to turn back to what I would term as a red-hot center. I want to draw an image for you today. If you're an image person, this might be helpful. What, what was Paul getting at? What was he talking about when he said that to live is Christ, to live is Christ and to die is gain? And this is the image, I, and I'm, this is as far as the artistic ability goes, it's a circle. And that's a decent circle. Thank you, Kev. Um, but when you look at your life, and you, and you mine in here to the middle, into the core, into the core of who you are. And I, I use this vocabulary, the red hot center. And here's just what I want to ask you. What's in your red hot center? When, when, you, when you mine down in, right, when you get to the depth of who you are, the soul, when you get to the innermost of who you are, is Jesus your red hot center? Or is there a couple other things in here? I call it, I just, I, I usually, I'll even ask that. How's your RHC? How's your red hot center doing? What's in your RHC right now? Is Jesus in there? Is he, and I ask myself, I try to evaluate myself. I think doing a spiritual tune-up frequently is a good thing. How are you doing with the gifts of the Spirit, or fruits of the Spirit? How are you doing with your red hot center? Is he your red hot center? I just, I'm not going to expound much upon that other than that. Is he your red hot center? Maybe it's a good visual. Maybe it's a, something you need to write down yourself and just, how is my red hot center? I want to go to the front part of this passage now. In verse 12, he says this. He says, now I want you to know. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and again, what's happened to him? He's in jail. Has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. <laughs> this, is, this is great. Then he goes, ah, who cares? What's it matter? <laughs> What's it matter? The important thing, can you just see like this? He's just like, what? Whatever, okay? He says, but he goes, the important thing is this, that in every way, whether from false motives or true, what? Christ is preached. He knew his red hot center, didn't he? He's saying, I don't... I wish they all had pure motives, but I can't fix their motives. I can't fix their heart. But at the end of the day, Paul's saying, this is fascinating. Because he was so entwined with Christ and his life is in the balance, he doesn't know. I mean, Caesar was nuts. And at any second could be like, you're done. Your head's gone. You're gone. I mean, and in that moment, he's saying, this is wonderful. I can have unstoppable joy. Because it finished with this, right? And because of this, <laughs> and because of this, I bemoan my circumstances. Because of this, it stinks for me. Because, no. And because of this, because the gospel of Jesus is being preached, I have unstoppable joy. 
His unstoppable joy became because he was so intertwined with Jesus. Jesus was everything to him. He was more than words on a page. He was more than a story. Jesus was everything to his red-hot center. And secondarily, the gospel was being spread. That's what Paul, Paul just wanted more people to hear about that they could be set free from sin. He wanted more people to hear that they didn't have to be in bondage anymore. He wanted more people to know that they could experience forgiveness. He wanted more people to know that they could get healing for their hurts in their lives. And that's what drove him. And let's be honest, if I'm a follower of Christ, that's what has to drive me. And if you want unstoppable joy, and if I want unstoppable joy... We can't hide the best news ever. I mean, how many people have you texted about the games yesterday, right? How many have, have I, and I'm, how many have, well, I didn't have anything to text about, but, <laughs> but how many have I texted this week about the love of Jesus? How many people have I invested in this week? And so I want to, I'm not going to go to the scripture text in, in Luke 10, but I'll explain it to you. And you're going to see an image of a person of peace. In Luke 10, Jesus, because he was the master teacher, did a masterful thing with his 72 disciples, 70 disciples. He, um, he didn't just do a teaching on evangelism. He didn't just do a teaching on leading someone to Christ. He didn't just give them the answers. He said, I want you to get in groups of two. I want you to take hardly anything with you. And I want you to go and knock on houses. And I want you to then tell them why you're there. Like say, you know, I, my life has been, you've heard about this Jesus guy. Everyone kind of knew about Jesus because of what he was doing. And, and just share your transformation story. Share how your life is different as a result of, of, of Jesus in your life. And then ask them if they'd be interested in learning more. And he said, if they do, he said, that's a person of peace. Stay there. And explain, open up the scriptures that they had, and share, most importantly, share your story. And he said, if they don't, he said, knock the dust off your sandals. That was a first century term to essentially say, you don't have to own this. And he said, move on, which is a sermon for another day on evangelism that we usually don't do that way. He's saying, they're not ready. Don't try to convince because you're not going to change their heart. They're not ready to receive this. But he said, the ones that are, you need to stay with. And so, What's a person of peace? Who's a person of peace? For many, many years, I, I wrestled with, how do I evangelize? I'm not Billy Graham, obviously. So that's one model. I'm like, well, I can't go rent out the shoe, you know, and just no one's going to come, all right? Um, I, 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 I know some scripture, but I felt inadequate in so many ways. I still do, frankly. And, and so, like, do I just walk them down a Roman's road? You know, any of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but we, right, we, especially if you grew up in church, you're like, you're just going to evangelize, like, What's that? <laughs> How many times you use that at the dinner table, right? You know, um, until years ago, I, I heard Irving Manis and some others talk about a person of peace from Luke 10. And they said, it's not this complicated, folks. It's not complicated. They said, who in your life do you know who doesn't know Jesus? Do you have anyone in your life who doesn't know Jesus? A family member, a friend? And frankly, if we don't, we need to expand our horizons but who do you know that doesn't love Jesus, that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus? And here's what they said. Three things. I w I'm, I'm just going to, do you have anyone that likes you? Okay. Do you have someone in your life that likes you? I'm like, well, that narrows it down for me a lot, but I came up with a few. Again, who don't know Jesus. Someone who likes you, someone who's willing to serve, serve you. In other words, as simple as, hey, man, I'm running late today. 
not going to be able to drop, the, I don't have time to drop the kids off. You text someone, hey, can you grab the kids and drop them off at school? Or, hey, my, my shovel broke, go to the neighbor, can I borrow your shovel? Not, not, they're not going to build a new house for you. I'm talking like that they're just, if you ask them to help you with something, they do it. So do you have someone in your life who's not a follower of Christ that likes you and is willing to serve you? And then third thing is this, that they're open to things of a spiritual nature, nature spiritual matter. For example, if they share some hurt in their life and you say, hey, can I pray with you? And they say, yes. That's a person of peace. Or you make an invitation to Christmas Eve or to a service or something, a group life or whatever. And they, they, I'm not saying they come, but they don't like, they're not like, don't ever talk to me about that guy. Because we have some in our lives, right, who are like, don't you ever talk about that God guy again, right? You know, that doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means they're not ready, okay? They're probably not a person of peace. But think about who do you have in your life. And here's what I'm going to tell you. If you and I have one, just even one other person in our life who we're investing in and looking for opportunities to invite, not just here but into your life, that will bring you unstoppable joy. Paul, Paul got it. Like, because the gospel was being spread, because... More people were getting to hear about Jesus Christ, this guy who died on a cross and defeated death so they could be set free themselves. His circumstances didn't drive his contentment. And so I come back to that opening question that I had, what are you living for? Are you living that Jesus is your red hot center? Are you living to share your faith with someone else? If it's changed my life, it doesn't really make much sense that I wouldn't tell someone, right? Now, I'm, I'm, I got I to gotta get better. I got to get more serious about this, to be honest. But I'm asking myself, if he's really changed my life, which he has, I'm totally different in so many ways. Still a work in progress. Some people might say a piece of work, but, uh, right? But we're still in that, then oh, how could I not? How could we not? How can, how can, how can we be okay that 60% of people are either gone or not sure if they're going to even stick with Jesus. That can't be okay. Do you recognize any of these names as we wrap up today? Do you recognize any of these names? Nate Saint, Roger Eudorian, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, and Jim Elliott. Five guys. In 1955, these five young men, all under the age of 35, gathered in Ecuador with a vision of reaching a tribe of native people called the uh, Akas. And that word actually meant savage. It was a name given to them by the other tribes. And these, this tribe lived deep within the rainforest. No one had ever presented the gospel to them. These five missionaries, all highly trained and devoted to God, began praying about ways to make contact. In September, they began flying over an Aka village, lowering a pot containing gifts for the native group. Eventually, the Akas took the gifts and replaced them with simple gifts and sent them back up. In January of 1956, the five men decided the time had come to make contact in person. After much prayer, they established a base camp on a sandy beach of Curare River. On January 8th, 1956, at approximately 3.30 p.m., all five of these men were speared to death by the Akans, who mistakenly thought they had come to hurt them. The news shocked the world. In fact, many people wondered, how could five young men waste their life? How could they 
do this and give up all the potential, all the future, the family? How could they give it all up? A short time later, journals were found from one of the five young men. Jim Elliott was his name. And they were actually published. And there was this sentence that was found that, in fact, there's even a movie now out about Tip of the Spear. He said this. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You give up the things that don't matter on the scoreboard to gain the greatest thing ever, the only thing, and that's what God brought to me and brought me so much more peace in my life. It took me 11 years (laughs) to get here. There's only one thing that matters on the scoreboard. It's the Red Hot Center. Are people falling in love with Jesus? That's the metric I'm moving forward with in ministry from, and for myself. Are people, are our people falling more in love with Jesus? Is Jesus becoming number one? That's the metric. There is, there's maybe secondary ones that have some value, but that's the number one metric. Are those teens saying to live as Christ, to die as gain? To live, if you meet me, you're going to meet Jesus. We don't come in separate packages. That's the metric for our children, that Jesus would be their red-hot center. There would be no other thing, that he's gonna, everything's going to be about Jesus. He's more than a story, and he's more than words on a page. And that's my prayer for you, that he's your red-hot center. And then subsequently, out of that, you're not going to be able to help yourself, but share the good news with other people. Close with a couple questions. What if your joy was strictly determinant on your relationship with Jesus? What if that's what your joy was? What if, what if your measure of joy was, how in love am I with Jesus? How intimate, how deep is that relationship becoming? That your joy today would not be in some circumstances, but your joy at 10 o'clock tonight would be, I think I love Jesus a little bit more than I did at 1210 this afternoon. How cool would that be? Can you see your life? Can I see my life so intertwined with Jesus that I can say I'm in Christ? Nothing else matters, frankly. I mean, it's all periphery. It's all about being in Him. And then the last thing, do you have a person of peace that brings you joy? Something you're pouring into to share your story and how Jesus can intersect with their story. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I first pray for anyone who's watching us right now or who's in here that's never said yes to Jesus. And they're living, and it grieves me, because they're living in despair, they're living in hopelessness, they're living with a lot of confusion and a lot of bondage. And if that's you here, you listening, I pray that you right now you would, you would turn your life over to him. You would surrender. You've been wanting to surrender to something anyhow or to someone. How about you surrender to Jesus today? How about you give your life over to him? More likely, you're probably not doing the best job at it yourself. So why don't we release that to him? Why don't we allow him to come in and invade our life? Turn from the life you're living. That's called repentance. Turn from that. Confess the need for a savior to solve your sin issue. 
And invite him to come in and start to become your red-hot center. For others of us today, I pray that we wouldn't just walk out of here today without really leaning into this. I know you've grabbed my attention. <laughs> you've, you've recalibrated, God, my mind and my heart, and you've, I thank you for that. That's why, God, I thank you so much for your word because it dives the deep in us. It fixes some of the things that we didn't even know need fixed. And God, I pray that for each of us today in every space of this building that we would pursue you more than anything else. We would allow you to have our heart and not all these other things that can pull for it. And God, I pray for our kids and for our teens that as they are absolutely bombarded with so much junk and so many lies, that they would pull you in tight and you would pull them in tight and together you would become their red-hot center. God, give us the words as we're sharing our stories with our persons of peace. God, reveal to us who they might be if we don't know. God, thank you for meeting us here. Amen. If you need prayer, one of the things I love is that every service we have people that just want to pray with you. So if you need prayer, come, come up front. Uh, we'll all be leaving so it's not awkward or anything. And they would just love to pray with you. And if you're new with us uh, and want to learn more about or meet me or whatever, uh, we're going to have a starting point. You can get your kids, bring them in. It'll only take about 10 minutes or so. That will be in the back of this auditorium. Come back next week as we uh, tackle week three of this. Be blessed. And uh, thanks. Oh, bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the shoeboxes. Man, you guys are absolutely amazing. Operation Christmas Child, be praying for those kids to receive the love of Jesus. You're dismissed. Isn't joy just like one thing? Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.